I find it fascinating that when adults meet each other for the first time, it doesn't take long before we ask this question. So what do you do? Right? What's happening here? Why can't we resist the temptation to ask this question? Are we trying to figure out who this person is that we're getting to know? And the way that our culture has taught us to do that is to find out what they do. You see, in our culture... Our identity is something that we achieve. It's a case of what I do is who I am. So, if I am a chief executive or a doctor or a lawyer, I place myself above, I don't know, say, a plumber or electrician or a stay-at-home mom or somebody that's in between jobs, please, if you have... If you do any of those jobs, I'm not having a go at you, right? I'm not minimizing that. Personally, I have great admiration for electricians. Because whenever I put two wires together, it always ends in a loud explosion. But the point is that I'm trying to make is that we evaluate each other by what we do. Well, along comes Jesus, who doesn't value you at all by what you do. In his earthly ministry, he gave equal attention to the cool kid, the rich young ruler, to the poor prostitute, to the blind beggar. You see, when Jesus looked at a person, any person, he has compassion on us because we are all equally lost. Doesn't matter what you do, we are all in the same boat. We are all in equally in need of a savior, of a shepherd, of a heavenly father, of a king. Culture says, what I do determines who I am. Jesus says, who I am determines what I do. Can I say that again? Culture says, what I do determines who I am. Jesus says, who I am determines what I do. And so in Jesus, I discover my identity first. It is an identity that I receive by sheer grace. And considering that, I determine my lifestyle and behavior. Who I am determines what I do. And so as I begin to understand who I am in Christ, I am motivated and empowered to live more like Him. And this morning I want to walk us through some of Peter's writing, which he wrote in uh, 60 to 65 AD to the churches and the persecution of the Roman Empire. And as I walk us through some of these texts, I want to draw out for us four marks of our identity in Christ. Four cornerstones, if you like, four characteristics of our identity in Christ. So let's start with 1 Peter 1 from verse 23. Verse 23 says, For you have been born again, not of perishable sheep, seed, but imperishable, 
through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk, so that it by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Mark number one of our identity in Christ. In Christ I am born again. Born again. I know this phrase has got some bad press in our culture, right? People tend to look at Christians in these two categories. There's like normal Christians, whatever that may mean. And then there are these way over the top, way gone, way gone, born again Christians. But the Bible makes it so clear that you and I cannot be followers of Christ unless we are born again, unless we are born anew. It's language that Jesus himself introduces in John chapter 3. So what's the meaning of being born again? What does it actually mean? Well, fortunately, these verses give us answers. Firstly, It simply means that God's life is being implanted in me. Think about it a little bit like an egg that needs to be fertilized from the outside to burst into a new life. So our souls, our lives, our hearts need the Holy Spirit, needs the power, the lifeblood of God to come in and to revolutionize us. Let's get this right, friends. Being born again is not a mild makeover. It's not changing my character or behavior a little bit here then. No, born again is a radical transformation. It is a change from the root, from the inside out. Secondly, this new birth will never be lost. We read it there. It's imperishable seed. I love this about us. If you are a follower of Christ this morning... Put your shoulders back because we believe in life before death. It's a life that starts now. It's a vibrant life and thankfully it will extend into forever. But that life starts right here, this morning, where you sit. We're part of this kingdom culture. It's not something that we have to wait for. It's not an insurance policy. Following Christ is not something you do to stay out of hell. Following Christ is to live a new kingdom culture right here, right now. But it's imperishable sheep seed. It, we will never lose it. This new birth is something that we receive with, with humility and faith when the gospel is preached to us for the first time. Verse 25 When this word is preached, this enduring living word, this word comes to us, to our hearts, to our souls, to our minds, and it changes us. And we respond to this message of grace. That's where it all starts. And then this new birth, this born again, gives us the capacity to enjoy God, but also to grow in God. Before I became a follower of Christ, the the concept of Enjoying God was a foreign one to me. 
I couldn't understand it. And yet when we are born again, God plants in us this appetite to want to know him more, to want to love him deeper, to delight in his goodness. But not only to do all of that, but to grow in him. Just like babies need to grow up, we've got this this salvation in which we need to grow. Now remember, and I'll come back to this every time on these four points, who I am determines what I do. So if I'm born again, what should I do? Well, here's Peter's answer. He says, nourish the spiritual life inside of you. He says, don't take this life that God has given you by His grace for granted. Just like a baby needs milk to grow up. Nourish this life inside of you. And that refers to just regular reflection and reading of the Scriptures. And this is just not Peter's opinion. It's been tried and tested. A recent study in America surveyed 80,000 Christians. And for those 80,000 Christians, they listed all the possible ways in which they could grow in Christ. Worship, prayer, fasting, meditation, spiritual community. And you know what came out by far at the top of the list? It was a daily reading of God's Word. I want to ask you this morning, are you still nourishing this life that's been planted inside of you? Are you taking it for granted? Are you nourishing it with God's Word? Maybe in this year, be known as a church who loves God's Word. Nourish, says Peter. Nourish the spiritual life that's been planted inside of you. We read on, verse 4. As you come to Him, the living stone... Rejected by human beings, but chosen by God and precious to Him. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in Him will never be put to shame Not only do we see as a mark of our identity in Christ that we are born again, but I'm also in Christ. I am a living stone. So notice this about this spiritual temple. Who is is building this spiritual temple? Uh, It's God himself. And who gets to live in this house? Yes, it's, it's, it's God's spirit. And what is the temple made of? It is made of stones. Our lives are being built together as a temple. I love that. Each of us is a stone that is handpicked by God, drafted in and plugged into this community of believers. What an amazing picture. I love it because it tells me not only does my life belong to God, but my life also belongs to you. Just like your life belongs to that of other believers. Christianity was the very first religion that said you don't need a temple like the one in Jerusalem. You don't need an altar. You don't need a sacrifice. You don't even need a priest. Every religion says if you want to meet with God, there's a place where you have to go to meet with Him. 
where you have to lay brick upon brick. And early Christianity come and said, if you want to meet with God, you don't need to lay brick upon brick. You need a people temple. There's a place where you can touch the divine, but this is how it will happen, not by laying brick upon brick, but by laying Christian upon Christian. The Christian community is the temple. Peter's saying, you want to meet and find God? Then meet with Christ's people. Find like-minded Christ followers and live your life with them. And so, as we were the first point, we asked the question again. Remember, who I am determines what I do. So if I'm a living stone, what should I do? Well, Peter's answer is, plug into a spiritual community and live your life out together. Friends, we were never meant to fly solo. I understand that there's an individual component to our walk with God. I get that. But my goodness, do we need each other in a community to come together, to live our lives together, to love each other. That has always been the blueprint. And Peter is saying, what is the, what is the cement that would hold this spiritual temple together? Verse 22, it says, our love Love one another deeply from the heart. That's the cement that holds the spiritual temple together. I want to say this in the nicest possible way. But if you've dipped in and out of community, you know, the odd visit every now and then, you're setting yourself up for frustration. Our togetherness, we need to come together. It requires frequency. It requires authenticity. I think of small group, our weekly component of sharing our lives. In the group that Elise and I are privileged to give some leadership to, man, that's where life happens. If I think back to, to 2023 and, and how life has been dumped on our desks, that we had to deal with. People losing jobs. Others can't find jobs. A one-year-old going for an eight-hour eight heart surgery. Another teenager with a serious back operation. That's life. And it's in those places that we pray together, that we care together, that we love together, that we cry together, that we pull off our mask. And I open my life and say, I need you. I cannot do this by myself. Spiritual temple. Living stones. We belong to each other. Don't fly solo in 2024. We also see from these verses, number three, that in Christ I am a priest. Not only are we living stones, but we are a holy priesthood. And so the religious temples of the ancient world consisted of stones, but they were run by priests. Now there's a lot that I can say about what it means to be a priest in Christ, more so than I have time this morning. But if I had to hone in on one aspect of priesthood, it's that they had access to God. You see, like the temple was compartmentalized and some sections was open to all, 
But the most, most important sections was preserved for priests. It's like they had VIP access. They were part of God's inner circle. When millions of Jews over the years could just wishful think to be in that place, they had VIP access. And you see, you had to be born a priest. That's the only way it could, you could get access. You had to be born a priest. Now, I don't know how many of you realize this about ourselves. But so much of our lives, we seem to spend on the outside trying to get in. We're trying to be part of the inner circle. I don't know. It starts when we're small. You know, maybe you were three siblings, and two of them were really tight, and you always felt like, man, I'm the spare wheel here. I'm the outsider trying to get in. Or maybe when you go to school, and you just don't fit in. You're not part of the cool kids. Or you go, and you try and be selected for a sport team, and you just, you're always the outsider. Or when you go to university and you don't, don't, you don't quite crack it. You're not part of the in crowd. Or you're looking for that job, but you just don't seem to get it. And you always look upon these with the connected people, the wealthy people, the good-looking people, the cultured people. What is it about us that we always seem to be on the outside looking in? Where does it come from? How did it start? What is this drive for us to be part of the God's inner circle? Well, let me suggest to you what the Bible says. It started when we were shut out of Eden because of our sin. And since that day, you and I have always had a longing to be part of the inner circle. We have always felt like outsiders. And this, this yearning for inclusion in earthly inner circles is actually a yearning to be included in a heavenly circle. But here's the good news, folks. We may not be born priests, but we can be born again priests because of our heavenly priest who sacrificed his life for us and for our sins. And from that moment, you and I never have to be outsiders again. When Jesus took care of our sins on the cross, he made us part of God's inner circle from that moment on. You and I have VIP access to God. We get to be part of God's inner circle. And so remember who I am determines what I do. And so if I'm a priest, what should I do this morning? Well, I should release in the access that I have. The welcome that's been given me. I should make the most of this access to come into God's presence. Every day, every week, every month. In prayer and worship and scripture and whatever other way, we should joyfully run into God's arms. He's waiting for us there. Jesus sacrificed on the cross so that you and I can meet with God every day. It is insane that the creator of the universe would have such love for us that he would find a way 
despite our rebellion and our, our hard-heartedness and our sinfulness, He'll smash through that. And He says, I'm making Jesus the priest that will bring you to me every single day of your life. It's up to you. What will you do with the VIP access in 2024? You're going to waste it? Or you're going to rush in? Because that's where life is to be found, people. VIP access. Oh God, I'm so grateful for that. But I'm so aware of my tendency to waste it. Holy Spirit, come and draw me near to you every day. Continuing verse 9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into this wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. In Christ, I'm not only born again, I'm not only a living stone and a priest, but notice I'm also part of God's treasured people. And Peter in this verses here quotes God speaking to the nation of Israel under the rulership of Moses. We find it in Exodus 19. It's an interesting passage. Let me read it to us. It says, You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. God saying, man, everybody on this planet belongs to me. All eight billion people. I love you all. But my love is amplified for those of you who put your trust in Jesus and accepted my free offer of grace. You are my special treasured people, my, my special treasured possession. I treasure you. And so what's our response? Who I am determines what I do. If I'm part of God's treasured people, what should I do? Well, firstly, I should revel in God's grace. That should have a profound impact on me. That's the effect of being a chosen people should have on me. You see, in, in, in some ways, I don't like this, this language of being a chosen person. Because I know I'm no better than the guy next to me who doesn't know Christ. I know that. And God knows that. God's choice of me has nothing to do with me being a choice person. Far from it. It's got everything to do with the fact that he's a God of unconditional love. He loves me not because I'm lovable. He loves me because he's the God of unconditional love 
who reaches out to losers and outsiders and moral failures like me. There's nothing that I can do to make him choose me, but thank goodness there's nothing that I, can, that I can't do that will, let me say that again, my good deeds do not qualify me to be, to be chosen, but my bad deeds don't disqualify me. It's sheer grace. It's unconditional love. We are God's treasured people. Unconditional love. Secondly, we should receive God's affirmation and affection. This is so hard for us. I really feel some of us need to hear, again, hear this again this morning. If you are in Christ, hear me on this. God loves you in the most intense way imaginable. Zephaniah 3.17 puts it like this. It says, the Lord your God is with you. A mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. When last have you sat and meditated on the, the reality that God rejoices over you? He looks at you and He's pleased with you. He loves you. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by His love. He will exult over you with loud singing. Folks, can we receive this affirmation and this affection from God this morning? As part of being His treasured people. My man, I want to cry when I read this. I'm the most unlovable person. And God loves over me. It's amazing. It's amazing. And then as part of his treasured people, we should live out a whole new culture. I really want us to hear that this morning. You see, when we come to God, not only do we get access, but we also get to live out a whole new culture. It's a kingdom culture. It's a different culture. And what's at the heart of it? It means that greatness does not come from being served, but from serving others. Jesus turns the world's value system upside down. And so we no longer take our cue from our culture. We take it from kingdom culture. And we can think of so many ways that this plays itself out. But just think briefly in our culture about money and power. What would it look like if money is something that we, that we get to have and enjoy and share, not for us to be better than somebody else, not to have more power than somebody else, that money would be something that will flow through us into all kinds of ways, not building this big reputation around money for us. What about if we begin to give power away instead of accruing it all the time, we become givers, not takers. What would, what would our society look like? When the power of love overcome the love of power, the world will know peace, said Jimi Hendrix. And if you don't know who Jimi Hendrix is, come afterwards, I'll pray for you. 
when the power of love overcomes the love of power, the world will know peace. How loud does that ring in 2024 across the globe this morning? And so God says, I'm plunging you into a new culture. Instead of becoming a power junkie, give some of it away. Live your life in the direction of somebody else. Kick this thing of me, myself, and I in the back. Get rid of that. Be a giver, not a taker. And how will the world, how will this culture in which you and I are plunged into, where we live our lives 24-7, how will it respond to it if we begin to live like this? Well, it just so happens that verse 11 and 12 give us answers. It says, dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. You and I are foreigners. We live here, but we're part of a heavenly kingdom with a heavenly king. And so we take our cue from the heavenly kingdom. We don't take our cue from our culture. But it, verse 11 tells us that it's not going to be easy because we are waging a war against our soul. Oh, but God gives us the grace to abstain. Sustainable grace will mean that you and I can live out a kingdom culture in the most challenging environment. And to live such good lives that are good deeds. When people will begin to see this changed life flowing out of me. This new identity in Christ. Will cause others to glorify God on the day that he visits. Do you see what Peter is saying here? He's saying live out this culture. Live out this kingdom culture. Not everybody will understand it or like you for it. But it will get them thinking. And not just live out this culture, but declare to people the wonders of the one who calls us into life. Peter is saying, hold out to others this mercy that's been given to you. And he says, you know what will eventually happen? He says, some will detest you for it. That will happen. But others will come to Christ. Others will see the combination of this message combined with your lifestyle and your good deeds, your new identity. People will see that and they will become followers of Christ. Folks, can you see the magnitude of this, of living out this culture? of holding in front of people a little bit of hope because the world is ho hopeless right now in so many ways. And Peter is saying, take this new culture. Yeah, you're going to have some skirmishes. I've had some of those. 
Not everybody's going to like you for it. But man, somewhere, somebody is going to come to faith because of the way that you live out this new kingdom culture. Isn't that amazing? Man, nowadays that I'm so discouraged because of my own ability to live out this culture. Where I succumb, I go the easy way out. I succumb to the culture around me. It, I fit in like a glove. It's so easy. And then every now and then, by God's Spirit, I get the courage to live out a kingdom culture. And you know it's true. People will ask questions. Some people won't like you for it. But man, I've seen once one or two glimpses of people asking more questions. And people doing what this passage say. Putting on the identity of Christ. Born again. Living stones. Royal priesthood. Part of God's treasured people. I cannot think of a single more important reason to get out of bed in the morning than to live out this new kingdom culture. How about you? Has living out this culture become a little bit of a bridge too far for you? Or you rather fit in and stand out? And God wants to give you courage this morning. There is no rebuke in this message. None whatsoever. It's the invitation as we are born again, as we are living stones, as we are priests, as we are the most treasured people there on, on, on planet earth. The invitation is now put all of that together and live out this kingdom culture. Wouldn't it be amazing if we come to the end of this year and we open the floor and we say, yeah. But he says, yeah, I, uh, this is hard for me, but you know what? I lived out this kingdom culture. I stood my ground. And so and so asked questions. And so and so maybe even come to church. Born again. I feel God wants to give us courage this morning. Because we need it. And we need His Holy Spirit. And so this question, so what do you do, friends, no longer needs to scare us or intimidate us because it certainly does not define us. What defines us is our identity in Christ. And so this morning I, I pray that we will freshly, freshly pour out our hearts and our souls before our Heavenly Father because of what He's done for us with His unconditional love. And his affection towards us.